0: I really think there's gonna be a demand for a customized story and that companies are gonna realize there's value in the marketplace of being first to tell my story.
1: That's Stephen Parker, a partner in PwC's Governance Insights Group. This is Heather Horn, and thanks for joining me for the next episode of our Forecast 2021 podcast miniseries. Today, we're focusing on the G in ESG and talking about the CFO's role in governance. From corporate behavior to policies to ensuring high-quality data and information, we're going to talk about some of the biggest CFO objectives and how they support boards to focus on what's most important. So, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. Looking forward to our conversation today about governance. Uh, But maybe before we get into that, one of the things that I'm so happy to have you as a guest today is I think you are the first guest that I've had that worked with me in a different role because I was actually working partner when you were the lead partner on a client together down in Houston. So it's so fun to me that our paths crossed again, albeit I think it's been more than 10 years, which hard to believe it's been that long.
0: It, it's certainly hard to believe it's been that long, Heather. And thanks for having me as a guest. It, it is good to kind of work with you in these two different roles that we've both um, gotten involved in. So happy to be here with you today.
1: Excellent. And I can say from firsthand experience, I know from seeing you interact with boards that you do have a lot of perspective in dealing with boards in in different environments. And I think now you're bringing your practical sort of audit partner hat to some of the work you guys are doing in, in the Center for Governance. And so I'm sure it's interesting for you as well to see those two coming together. Uh, just to kick things off today, though, Stephen, I thought it'd be great to start with talking about governance actually from the role of the CFO. So I think often we talk about the role of the board, what the board should be doing. But if I think about my audience and CFOs and their organizations, what is their role in making sure that companies' governance as as effective as it can be?
0: I like the way that you frame that in kind of thinking about how does the CFO support the board, but then also recognizing that the CFO is at the top of a very large organization of folks, um, not just financial reporting and accounting, for sure, and that there's an element of governance that is around just corporate behavior. And and as a, a member of senior management, the CFO is uh, kind of responsible for the tone, the policies, how those policies kind of get executed. But if if we start, maybe to answer your question here, if I I start kind of painting with a broad brush and looking up towards the board, because when we talk about governance, we often default to kind of thinking about board governance. Clearly, the CFO and his or her team plays a role in that board governance being effective. And and I think clearly uh, there are Committees, in particular, like the audit committee, where the CFO would be a part of those committee meetings. I think one of the biggest uh, objectives um, for the CFO in terms of being a positive contributor is to make sure that the information that management, that his or her team is pulling together for the board is clear, concise, it's timely, um, it's reliable so that the board can navigate through the, the mass of data and reports that they get. You, you may recall, you know, some of these, these reports that they get are hundreds of pages long. And so how do you navigate through that? How do you get focused on what's important? Um, how do you understand what management is really thinking is most important? And then you can oversee that. I think it really has to do with some of the reporting that the CFO, their organization, even senior management, what what are they providing the board so that the board can be effective in their oversight responsibilities?
1: And Stephen, when you see companies doing this well, what types of best practices are you seeing?
0: I'll uh, characterize it maybe as three things. So, So first off, and it may not seem important, would be just in the setting of the agenda. And, and I really think in particular with with the audit committee, but take the CFO or any member of senior management to, to sit down with the chair of the committees and really talk about what do we want to cover? What does is, what is the committee chair, what does the board want to cover in the next, in the next session? And making sure that you've got um, the right amount of time allocated. You have the right people that the CFO brings the right members of senior management to facilitate that discussion. Uh, and, and where you might want to do deep dives on some topics that are really of interest to the board. And and I can tell you that if we were having this conversation a year ago, kind of the prioritization of what's important to the board would be a different list than it is today. And, and so keeping on top of how that changes. So clearly, um, agenda setting, allocation of time, and, and even you probably remember this, Heather, how, um, I mean, I don't know that I've seen too many agendas, that have ever changed in terms of order of you know here here's what we're going to handle first second third all the way to the end and what we're hearing from boards today is that they really need to be agile enough to move those things around let's hit the the most important topics first we can come to the consent agenda at the end so agenda setting is the first thing uh, the, the item that may have the most impact is really on kind of how these reports are prepared and I, and I think really focusing on uh, executive summaries that kind of kind of point directors to where they need to go and what's changed and the why, but also dashboard reporting. I mean, when you think about uh, compliance reporting, internal audit reporting, even some of the financial statement metrics uh, can really be, some of those messages can be facilitated through dashboard reporting. I think if I was a board member, I would really want to be looking for the red, green, and the yellow. I mean, focus on the red. That's what I need to pay attention to. All the green looks good. So I think CFOs should be challenging their teams, um, the management teams, to rethink how they're preparing materials for the board so that they can be very focused. And then the final thing would really be kind of in the presentations themselves, that, that you don't go slide by slide by slide as you make your, you know, this presentation to the board, but that you, you hit on the four or five key topics. I mean, what is it you really want them to know? You assume that they've read the materials and you allow more time for Q and A in, the, in the committee meeting itself. And so preparing your teams to be able to get to that point, to get to it quickly and, and open the floor for Q and A is what we're hearing board members are wanting today.
1: So then, Stephen, there's so many directions to go on each of those, but maybe starting with prioritization, when you look at board agendas right now, what are you seeing from sort of a 2021 perspective that if we looked back a year or more so even 10 years ago, you know, when you and I were were working on this together, I'm sure things have changed a lot. So what are some of the things you're seeing now that are maybe new in 2021?
0: Well, I don't don't think it'll surprise you that the kind of the number one concern on directors minds today, based on conversations that I've had with them, is related to the health and safety of their employees and other stakeholders. And I just think not that that wasn't important a year ago or 10 years ago, but I just think we probably took it more for granted. Um, cybersecurity risk, data privacy, and, uh, and security are very close to the top of that list as well. ESG risks and strategy around ESG. And then, you know, not to forget diversity and inclusion. I think those are really some of the, uh, the, the top issues that they are, are beginning to deal with. And, and I'll give you an example, like in the, in the cybersecurity area um what i've heard a lot of directors say is yeah we used to we used to get a report out maybe 5 minute update once a year on cybersecurity and and now we meet with you know a couple of members of the uh, the c suite every quarter to hear what's going on from a cybersecurity perspective and and some companies may even ask the fbi to come in and talk to them you know the use of outsiders got more prevalent so problem is those are in addition to everything else that's important um, their plates are are quite full, but those are some of the top issues.
1: And Stephen, on that point, and I want to come back to ESG, but let's stick with cyber for a second. As again, sort of CFO, CFO department, if you have a sense that perhaps the board is not as educated as they need to be on some of these topics, or even you and I saw it, if you're dealing sometimes even with an accounting issue, they may not have you know the background to understand some of these topics. Are there any recommendations you have in terms of, is it separate sessions? Is it getting one person on the board to get an understanding? Like, How do companies approach those types of things when maybe the board doesn't have the depth or experience to understand every topic they're being asked to deal with right now?
0: And and that's clearly a challenge when you think about, I mean, if I just think about the board for a second and board refreshment. And what are the right skill sets that a board needs in today's um, environment? So you identify what your gaps are, and then you try to figure out how do you fill? Them. Does it make sense to go get a technologist to be on the board? Or, as you suggested, do we just meet with uh, senior management more often? You may have really great talent in the senior management roles around technology. And then you might also involve outsiders. Like I mentioned, the FBI is is actually something I heard from directors, that the FBI is very willing to come to a board meeting and talk about what they're seeing in your particular industry um, or or what they're seeing in terms of trends. And so that can be a way to to get boards up to speed. And then there's just general board education. I mean, really enticing or or, uh, motivating the board to kind of step outside and, and really do some separate board education. I think getting up to speed kind of has to happen outside of the typical agenda, because like I said, these agendas are already packed. And, and so, you know, I, I think whether you s- schedule a separate session, we we do a lot of separate sessions, but so do a lot of other providers of thought leadership. And, it, and it's easier in today's world, right? People don't have to travel. You get back on your screen and you've got to carve out an hour or so, but the travel, the logistics is, are just not as complicated. So I think boards are finding a way to kind of make room for that from a cybersecurity perspective. It's
1: interesting because you're talking about sort of board composition and this episode in particular really was intended to focus specifically on governance in the context of a broader ESG conversation. And so if you think about governance and board composition, there's a lot of different aspects of that. And we're even seeing legislation around that and otherwise. So how are companies balancing I might need a technology specialists. I might need a woman. I might need all these different characteristics. And obviously, there's a only so many board members, and B only so many qualified people,
0: and C we're remote. Yes,
1: a whole other complication.
0: <laughs> the, the, the opportunities to really meet folks is a whole lot less, if and possibly non-existent. I've talked to several boards that have brought on board members, you know, and never met them in person, which is clearly a challenge because I mean board culture is important and how well people mm. work together um I think is important to the dynamics and the efficiency effectiveness of a board. you know boards are very early kind of in this process I mean I mean it's certainly more than twelve months that people have been talking about board diversity but but I think you've seen a lot of traction here in the last twelve months. Um, I, I meet with some boards that ask the question, you know, where do we start? How do we even identify candidates? There are um, networks out there that you can do that. And I think one, one of the best recommendations is that boards, and this could be led by senior management. So again, a chance for the CFO to, to at least have a perspective is that senior management could say to the board, I've come up with like a, a matrix of qualifications and say, here's what we think we need as a senior management team. This is the kind of skill set that we're looking to have at the board level. And and then you start to place your current board members and see which of them have those skills and where do you have the gaps. And then you prioritize the gaps and you seek to try to fill the gaps. And, and I think one of the challenges, like we we said in this remote environment, is when, let's say you identify the perfect person for that gap. So now you've You've got the resource with the skills. You've got to, you know, get them comfortable around this new environment, this new table, in order to really get the benefit of their skill set, to really bring value to the board governance um, idea. And so that's where I think companies are are wrestling. I won't say they're struggling, but it's a wrestle. You know, it was just a little easier to get them to feel a part of the team when they were sitting in a room together instead of just stare at the screen together.
1: And then Stephen, how about ESG more broadly? So we talk about board agenda and put aside board composition and governance, but just as companies are thinking about ESG, how are they communicating to boards and how are boards deciding what to focus on?
0: So that's clearly a, um, a work in progress, I, I think. What, what you've got is companies are typically reporting ESG risks, ESG strategy, ESG um, metrics in a couple of places. You know, one could clearly be the proxy, and that's where investors, I think, are often looking for uh, where the company stands in the ESG space. Um, I think before the proxy, one of the first places that companies went to because these these were so non-GAAP, non-financial, was hey, let's do a sustainability report. You know, a separate report. That we can give to our marketing or investor relations department, and they can publicize it. And one of the challenges that a lot of companies had with that report was that a lot of that data got pulled together outside of the uh, of the the CFO's you know group, outside of their departments and and their function. And so, once people started kind of digging into some of that data, you realize that. People didn't know where it came from. It really wasn't that accurate or that reliable. Controls hadn't been put in place or processes hadn't been put in place. And i tell you, that's one of the important things, I think, for the CFO is as the reporting of, of these non-financial metrics becomes more prevalent, that the CFO, because of their competency and, and some of their team's competencies, they've got to find a way to bring some of this reporting under their house, just because it's... The most efficient and effective place for it to be. And you're going to want these disclosures to be investor grade, that you're going to have confidence in the processes that were put in place to derive this information. And if at some point you want to get some sort of third party assurance or outside assurance, uh, independent assurance, if you will, on those processes and that data, uh, you're going to probably want it under the CFO's um, perspective. So, proxies, separate reports, sustainability reports. And I think you may start seeing either this year and in future years, some of the ESG risks show up in the risk factors in your SEC filings. You may see some discussion in MDNA. You know, uh, you've got some human capital disclosures that have now got to be put into your 10K filings. Um, so I think you'll start to see trends that some of this data finds its way into things that are closer to the financial statements as well. So
1: then, Stephen, from a data perspective, it sounds like you're saying and makes sense, just like the financial statements, you don't want to be reporting information that you find out later there was an error, someone didn't pick up the right information, transposition, whatever, you know, so many different things can go wrong. But because this is all so new, what are the types of questions you see boards asking around that information?
0: Um, I put them in a couple of categories. So if I if I just think about you know the purpose of the ESG um strategy, if you will, or you know, questions like has the company clearly articulated its purpose that considers all key stakeholders' needs and effectively aligns with business strategy? In the in the risk area, um questions like does the company's existing risk processes include identification of any ESG risks? How how does management prioritize ESG risks and opportunities? And are these risks and opportunities included in capital allocation decisions? When it comes to messaging, how is the company communicating its purpose and its goals in the furtherance of sustainable success, long-term sustainable success? Kind of like what we were talking about in terms of reporting. Um, Are they using both quantitative metrics but also qualitative information? to communicate and measure its progress, the company's progress, and then how do companies monitor what their competitors are doing? I think that's going to be real important. You know, If you're a board member, want to make sure you know where you stand in terms of comparison to your competitors. We just talked about this a little bit, but in, in the area of reliability of data, does the company have robust policies and procedures to support the disclosures that are being made? Are their disclosures investor-grade? You know, does management identify, have they identified any gaps in the process? And could independence assurance serve as a differentiator? Again, I, the, the whole process, I think this is in, in the ESG world is all about building trust with stakeholders. And I think the the quicker you are to build that trust, gain that trust, and then sustain that trust, I can't be that great of a predictor. But I think that's where we're moving in terms of that will likely translate into some sort of value for a company.
1: Well, Stephen, it also sounds like what you're saying is, and intuitively makes sense, you can't have like ESG on one side and the business on the other side, like where it's two completely separate things, but instead it's really integrating these different ESG concepts into how you're running the business. You talked about capital allocation, even reporting and otherwise. The companies that are going to get ahead, it feels like are the ones that are better able to integrate those pieces and then to share that, I'll say, story. Uh, I
0: couldn't agree more. You said it pretty good. You want to be in the Governance Insights Center?
1: <laughs> I think I'll leave that to you for now, Stephen.
0: <laughs> but the uh, I think the key there is, you know, like when you talk about the CFO role, so as a member of the C-suite, They are uh, the CFOs clearly at the table with management working on a strategy, a a corporate strategy, a business strategy. And to your point, we talked to directors today about how that strategy needs to incorporate an ESG element to it. So they need to be a a combined strategy. And so the CFO would help put that together help deliver that to the board or make sure that the materials are are communicating those elements to the board and so that the the board can advise and exercise oversight over that strategy, the execution of that strategy.
1: And then Stephen, how do you balance sharing strategy, telling your story with the fact that some of this information maybe is proprietary or it's something you don't necessarily want your competitors to be aware of you know, how do you see companies balancing sort of the need to explain what you're doing versus not sharing everything?
0: And I, I think that's today's challenge is what does ultimate transparency really look like? Or, or we talk about this being um, the age of transparency. And, you know, on one side, you've got your general counsel who's saying, you know, we shouldn't say that much. And and I understand that. I've talked to multiple general counsels who say that's kind of the role I'm supposed to play. And on the other side, you've got maybe the business saying, but uh, our stakeholders are telling us we've got to be more transparent about what we're doing. And I don't know that there's really proprietary information that you would necessarily get to. I, I just I think it's going to be really important. And again, I think it's senior management's responsibility for saying, what is our story going to be? What's our G story going to be? Now, that definitely has to be Uh, coordinated with the board, because as as you described earlier, so much of the G is really board focused. But then, I mean, we're talking about ESG, there's an E story and an S story as well. And I think all of those things have to be combined and then communicated really consistently. But I'd see it evolving in terms of the amount of more transparency, less boilerplate language.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting when you're talking, I was thinking in a way it's no different than if you're thinking about like a FAS 5 disclosure or FIN 48 disclosure, like there's always that balance of what to share. The difference being if it's an accounting disclosure, there's clear guidelines of what's required. Whereas here, I think each company, to some extent, I mean, obviously there's different guidelines out there, but companies are figuring out for themselves what they want to share, how they want to share it, which makes it even more challenging when you're thinking about that.
0: Yeah, which is what I think gives the stakeholders, like large investors, they have a lot of impact when they say, this is what we'd like to see. And, you know, you've got rating agencies that are now rating companies based on ESG metrics. And so if you're not telling that story, you may not qualify to be part of their investment portfolio kind of mixes. and. So I just think that's what's really ramping up the discussion versus, like you said, where we had accounting standards or, you know, even SEC disclosure type guidance that uh, you could fall back on and say, well, we're somewhere within the guideposts. We can feel pretty comfortable. Um, To that point, I would say that to date, the SEC has kind of been you need to talk about what's material to your business and your SEC filings. And I think the, the word on the street is, is that with a new administration, a new leadership at the SEC that we may see a different type of standard come out um, that will push companies a little bit more firmly towards some specific type of disclosures.
1: So, Stephen, on that note, we'll come back to SEC, but maybe just expectations of investors. What are you seeing specific to what's called the G story in terms of either best practices or what is expected to be disclosing from a governance perspective?
0: We're early in the 2021 proxy season, if you will. Um, we do have some examples out there from, say, 831, 930 type um, filers. But if I even go back to you know, our review of the 2020 proxy season, I, I think where we're thinking we're going to see some different disclosures are in, say, five areas. So like in board composition. We expect to see more graphics and more matrices. Like I talked about skills matrices, but but what's the makeup from an ethnicity perspective, a a race perspective, a gender perspective, even things like pictures of the directors that, you know, when we were working together 10 years ago, you didn't see any pictures. No. That's what we expect to see for, for board composition, you know, graphics, matrices around skills and diversity. In the risk oversight area, we do expect to see more transparent discussion around how is the board fulfilling their oversight responsibility of risk? Who's responsible? What committee is responsible for what risk type? How often do they meet with management? Who do they meet with within the management team? Uh, do they use outside investors? Of course, CDNA, I, I think, um, will continue to evolve. You'll see more tables, I think CDNA has evolved, but really around compensation, that's going to continue to evolve. Um, The last two are really around board performance assessments. So make sure that you, you talk about the fact that you're doing them. What are you learning from them and what have you done differently as a result of that feedback from your own board members? And then similarly around shareholder engagement. What's the plan, the board plan for shareholder engagement? How many shareholders has the board actually Uh, visited with during the last year and what might they be doing differently as a result of some of those discussions and feedback from key stakeholders. So those are the, the, i said the more significant areas that we expect to see changes.
1: Well, it's definitely a lot to think about. And again, if I'm listening and thinking my board's not doing some of those things, it sounds like you know, some good focus areas potentially for 2021. But then, Stephen, one specific question, you mentioned SEC and and briefly the Biden administration. And earlier, we talked about racial equity and, and the fact that that's a focus. So is there... Anything specific that you see companies thinking about, and I know we briefly talked about board composition, but anything else as we think about maybe where the administration's going, the role potentially of I'll use it loosely quotas, or you know if I'm trying to to change my board, what I should be thinking about
0: you know I think you just may see like what what you got from or what you have today that's effective is really. A very broad rulemaking around disclosing what the board determines is material for an investor to understand. And I think the new administration, with new leadership in the SEC, uh, we just may see some specific. Measures or or metrics that um, that will be required to be discussed. I'll give you an example, kind of like the current disclosure around what the uh, ratio is of the CEO's compensation versus the average compensation, and, and you know how many times that number is. I, I think you could see some metrics, in particular, around comp in particular around board diversity around employee you know diversity and metrics ethnicity uh, gender um, race that will reach a little bit further than what somebody might say today they think is material to an investor and so it'll create a couple of issues one is now they've got to go get that data and you know, when you think about employee data, I wrestled with this just with another organization that I uh, I volunteer for, but we have some data on our our board members and our employees, but we learned that you're only allowed to pick one type of ethnicity. You know, so if your parents are two different ethnicities and you relate to both, you can't answer that question very well. So we actually have to change some of our technology to be able to get the, the proper data to be able to report that data. And, and I suspect companies will have some of those same challenges too as, as they begin to digest what comes out of the new new administration.
1: Well, and I think it goes back to the conversation we were having about data is just thinking about non-financial data and having even the same level of assurance or comfort as a CFO someone involved in this reporting that the information you're reporting is I'll say accurate and is reflective and I think the example you gave was great because on the surface yes you're reporting exactly what your employees have reported but then if you take a step back and say okay but it might not be meaningful because there's problem with the way we've even accumulated this data so definitely whole new world of of things to think about
0: you know, and if you think about multinational companies, being able to get that data from so many different you know, offices or countries, it, it can really be a challenge. And, and again, so much of that, like that employee data is way outside of the CFO's realm. And I think you're going to see some of those processes start to come under the CFO type organization just because their competencies are right aligned with, with developing that.
1: All right. So then, Stephen, maybe just to wrap things up, normally I like to end with sort of a crystal ball question and say if we were having this conversation in the next year or two years. What would be we be focused on? But given the fact that we worked together a little over 10 years ago, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to fast forward 10 years to say, could you even contemplate? Other than the fact I think you and I will both be retired, what will boards be talking about in 10 years?
0: You don't have to think that I will be retired because the firm will have kicked me out and, and my wife will have likely forced me to retire too, <laughs> um, which, is, which will be a good thing for all of us. 10 years is, is tough. I, I certainly think we talked a lot about transparency and the nature of the way companies communicate what's going on with their investor community. And I don't think it's going to take 10 years for this to happen, but I think certainly in 10 years, we're going to be reading different kinds of customized stories in proxies and likely pieces of SEC kind of filings. I think we're going to move a little bit away from the boilerplate kind of disclosure. I'm not so sure how, because I realize that the boilerplate was intended to help deal with potential litigation and you know, kind of put fences up around companies where fences need to needed to be drawn. But I, I really think there's going to be a demand for a customized story and that companies are going to realize there's value in the marketplace of being first to tell my story and to to really link what I do. And why I do it to more than just value for the shareholder, but value for the stakeholder. You know, being a great community citizen. I look forward to the different kind of stories that companies are going to be telling and the ways that they tell it. So, if I go out ten years, we're going to clearly see boards, board members being very tech savvy. Uh, they, they they'll be upskilled in three years. Um, they'll have new tools. I mean, some of the tools are out there. For companies to share with boards, but but the board members are not upskilled enough to be able to use that technology. But they they will have the skill set, and there will be tools for them, which is going to give them a lot more access to data. What that's going to lead to is is a great kind of dialogue and discussion around management versus oversight. You know, how much data does a board member need to be uh, a director to advise and to monitor oversee? Um, versus being management. That's where you're going to get some push and pull. And in 10 years from now, we probably will still not have figured that out.
1: It's interesting, Stephen. I was going to let you off the hook. When you said 10 years, how am I supposed to predict? I was going to let you say, okay, well then let's do a year but I love your answer. So let's go with it. And I think you gave us a lot to think about both in, as we look ahead in 10 years, but just in the more immediate, what to think about in 2021. So thank you very much for joining me.
0: Thank you, Heather, for having me. It's good to be with you.
1: Join me back here every Tuesday and Thursday for new podcast episodes. Next Tuesday, we're turning our attention to cryptocurrency as digital assets continue to make the headlines and push into the mainstream of finance. We're hearing more and more questions on the accounting implications. So join me back here next Tuesday for the latest on what you need to know. And on Thursday, don't miss the next new episode in our forecast 2021 mini series covering the E and ESG. So that you never miss an episode of any of our audio content, subscribe to the PwC Accounting Podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved.